Welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Reminds you of programs like this on the Mark Steiner Show are brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or at steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We bring you our local roundtable folks who do join us in this conversation at 410-319-8888. You can write to us here at talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner, log on to our Facebook pages. I'm looking at the Facebook page now. Um, we are here with... Melody Simmons, who is a reporter for the Baltimore Business Journal covering real estate, economic, economic development, but has been reporting on this town for decades now. Many, many years. Many, yes. many years. Great to be here. Many, many years. Thank you. Kim Truehart's back in the house. Hey, Mark. How are you, Kim? I am great. Kim Truehart, of course, longtime citizen activist, former candidate for president of the city council. Uh, her, her bus campaign. <laughs> Isn't that what right. you called it? MTA. Yes. Your MTA campaign? Yeah, you buy a $4 bus pass, you know, and ride everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to 420 now, by the way. And, <laughs> Still a deal. Yeah, yeah. Such a deal. And Dr. K. Whitehead remains in the house. Cake. Absolutely. Thank you. Let me begin here. Um, one of the reasons I want to begin here is because I think it's just something that has gripped our city, at any rate, over the last few days. Um and because of the emotional effect I think it has on people and what people are worried about what it says, even though we don't know how and where all this began or who did what. But when a 97-year-old man is killed in his home, what well, seems like a breaking and entering, but nobody really knows what happened, obviously. But I think the effect of this, Kim, I mean, um, is something that, I mean, it's highly emotional. Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about how, all right, that could be a person who could be my parent, mm -hmm. right? Could be somebody's grandparents that we know, but it could be my parent. What would my response be? My first response would be, I want to kill that man himself exactly. with my own hands. Yeah. Yeah. Then you think, well, that's why we have a state and a government to take care of things. And then you think, could the person who've done this heinous crime, and I've met many men and women in prison when I worked in prisons especially, and known a lot of guys growing up that would commit some horrendous acts. But then watch them after 20 years or so morph into a different kind of human being and can recontribute to society. Is that a response? Then you see the response of uh, Delegate Cassidy today in the Baltimore Sun in a letter to the editor where he came out against mandatory minimums but came out against mandatory minimums because he believed that we would be putting people in jail who are just citizens trying to defend themselves from the crime, then start talking about we should be locking up juvenile people more, juvenile, juveniles more to pay for the consequences of their crime. So this, to me, these things intersect. I want your thoughts. They, they do all intersect. Um, what we have are um, generally young people in this city who have decided that they will make um, a living preying on other residents in this city. And that is like the most egregious way you can earn a living, I think. And, and the fact that they broke into the basement of this man's home, who'd lived there for almost 60 years in this home. Who had just lost his wife. Who had just lost his wife, trying to, to be the upstanding citizen that he had always been. And somebody in that neighborhood was watching him. Somebody knew what his routine was. Um, and they went into his home, and they probably could have taken everything that they wanted without harming him. But the vicious nature of, of beating up a 90-year-old man. 97-year-old man. Right. You know, I mean, how, how, how is that not a cowardly act? And... How you can't enact laws, right? Other than just lock them all up, right? Um, that will deter somebody from just preying on innocent, weak, very weak victims. 
And that's what we're seeing more and more. You know, there's the drug trade that's going on. Um, and this is just predatory. This, this is just unconscionably predatory. And um, these young people who choose that life, we've got to find alternatives for them. You know, we, we haven't given them the educational foundation, nor the life skills foundation, nor the mental health foundation that many of them need in order to be successful in society. And so they are left to make their own choices. And, and as we see, they're making horribly bad choices. Melody? Well, when something like this happens, um, this this victim is all of our parent, and everybody in the city feels it. I think this over the past uh, since January, the crime wave, everybody feels the losses, and um, of course, it doesn't end; it keeps rolling on. It's very upsetting, and people are in the point now where they don't understand it, and uh, it is so vicious. It's so um, it, it's emotional at this point, and it's desperate. So that's not a place where you want to be. Um, I just read on my way in here that Zeke Cohen, another councilman, has come out saying that he's against the mandatory minimum. So this issue seems to now have hit City Hall. It's going to be debated this week in the hearing tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. And so we have uh, more of a public forum, which is great for everybody. But here you have a tragedy to set the stage to get it going. So it, it makes it all much it just magnifies everything. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a different type of response that I'm having with this particular killing. I mean, I know that with this older gentleman who's 97 years old, he is the age and would have been the age of my grandmother. My great-grandmother would have lived. So not just my parent or my grandma. My great-grandmother is someone who, if she had lived just a few years ago, would be hitting 95, 96, 97. And I was thinking about her, and I was thinking about how fragile her body was. I was thinking how soft-spoken she was because she was, you know, she would have been 97. She was 93 years old. I didn't bother anyone. Lived in her community. Everybody knew her because it's the community she had lived in for years. And I was just trying to think what would it take for someone to break into the house of a 97-year-old person who is a staple in the community, who's known in the community to watch his routine and then to beat him to death. There's something very personal about laying your hands on someone and beating them to death with your hands. I'm thinking about the cries and the blood and just the horror of it. And I wonder about the person or persons who made the decision to do this, who made the decision instead of just knocking him out, instead of just tying him up, that you were going to inflict this type of pain and horror onto a helpless being. I, I think about it when I think about someone who would be the three-year-old child or four-year-old child, someone who's not in a position to fight back. I think we have reached a very desperate low in our city and I am concerned about where do we go from here. I know we have high homicide rates. I understand that. I know that Baltimore, as someone has called it, you know, the, do the hole in the middle of the donut. I know we have issues that we wrestle with. But this particular crime and how horrific it was, I think is calling us to really come together and wrestle with what is happening in this city where there are people who believe that this type of victimization, this type of brutality is just part of what you have to do in order to survive. So, and I'm going to go to the phones here. Hank, you're the first caller up, and I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Hackman Hanks on the phone, who's uh, always got a lot of very interesting things to say when it comes to these issues, given the life he's led and the work he does in his community. But 410-319-8888 is the number here. Um, mm. So the, the question I have and I constantly have with this situation and situations like this is how do you begin and create the conversation that allows us to have a long-range view of what we have to do to end this, right? Mm. Um, and it comes on so many levels, it seems to me. We're talking about the need for economic development and jobs, mm. for people to have control over the revitalization of their neighborhoods or have some input into the revitalization of their neighborhoods um, and, and, and to create community again. Because we're looking at Mr. Tate's neighborhood, Mr. Mm. Mr. Tate's neighborhood, I knew that neighborhood as a young man. Uh, in Northeast Baltimore, 
and any side. And it was a neighborhood that was, you know, it had its moments, but it was a working class mm-hmm. neighborhood. Um, every, Darley, every, Darley Park. Mm-hmm. Darley, Darley Park, Park, right? Yeah. Tight net, tight net, family homes, community base. Homes were filled mm-hmm. with people um, and children and families doing what they do. Um, and then the, the, for the, all the reasons we can outline ad nauseum again in this program, the neighborhood began to fall apart. And Mr. Waddell, Tate, and others in that neighborhood stayed and didn't want to leave. But boarded houses started happening around them, and things began to deteriorate. That's A. And B is having policies that actually put our arms around children as they're growing up, not handcuffs, to see if we can... Mm help a new generation to understand and get away from the hurt that creates the hurt. Right. Hurt right. that creates hurting, I should mm-hmm. say. Right? That's what, we have to, that's what we have to do. How do we have that conversation? I mean, the same time that you want to take this young man or young woman, whoever did this crime, and put them somewhere because it's just so horrendous. The problem is, is that the decision makers in this city have not engaged us around meaningful um, conversations that would lend itself to to helping somebody who's been hurt so bad Mm -hmm. that they will go out and just brutalize a 97-year-old, right? Nobody's talking about that. And so instead, they're they're choosing this very easy, feel-good legislation. Let's lock them all up, Mm -hmm. right? Let's put them in jail. And my concern, uh, you know, around those kinds of policies is, number one, you're justifying this, this new legislation on the fact that 60% of those convicted, and I'm not sure what time frame we're talking about, those convicted of carrying an unregistered weapon have been s- given se- suspended sentences. So when are we going to delve into why mm. they've gotten suspended sentences? But we also don't. We also and don't know because we don't know what those. Because if you, uh, there are a lot of circumstances. Anybody who's watched the courts, you've watched the courts a lot mm-hmm. of the years, a lot. Melody, a lot right. in your in your mm-hmm. reporting. I mean, judges take a lot into account right. when they do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. it, so we think that it's just judges giving somebody a slap on the wrist and sending them back. When things are more that's com- an, complicated that's that. right. That's an easy answer. That, mm-hmm. That's the answer that our elected officials have given us. Judges are slapping folks on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, wait a minute. Let's delve into this right. a little bit. Let's look at did the police give the prosecutor a great case? Now, I'm concerned that our police officers are not producing great cases, mm-hmm. right? aren't giving the prosecutor substantive information to actually prosecute, right? And so when that that case gets before the judge, the judge says, I can't put this person in jail because the judge has a conscience, right? The judge is going to take into consideration all of these issues about this person in front of him because it is a person. It is a human being, right? It's not just a thug, as some would call our kids, Right. It is somebody who has value on this earth. And if if we invest in them, that value increases. Right. And so this judge has said, I'm throwing this case out. All right. Do you want to jump in here? Well, then we open the phones. Definitely. I think we should go another level down. I think we should uh, go to the family, the level of the family and the level of the individual himself or herself. Um, a lot of times over the years, it's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about programs. There's a lot of uh, great ideas. There's a lot of initiatives. There's a lot of money spent. Um, but going the distance has always been the disconnect in Baltimore. And... Um, connecting all the dots so that these great ideas when they start and get funded actually come to fruition that can make a meaningful impact on somebody's life for the distance that's where you see a little bit of fault that's where it falls apart um, I think that job training is so important I think that uh, really speaking with young people who are in middle school who are in sixth grade even, talking to them about their dreams and their hopes Mm -hmm. and mentoring them along the way, that's where it really should start Mm -hmm. because positive outcomes can happen. So, you know, I just, we can open the phones here, but I just want to say something real fast because you were talking about 
Zeke Cohen came out today against mm-hmm. mandatory minimums. Good, good for Zeke. It, it, yeah. Who just said that? I did. You yeah, that, I right? saw it in Mel- that Melody mm-hmm. on the way that. in. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So, so that means that right now in that particular battle, which is a huge in city council, really is a good community debate. People who are for it are, are of course, President Young, but delegates Costello, Stokes, Pinkett, Schleifer, and Green Middleton are for the mandatory minimums. Opposed, Burnett, Clark, Sneed, Dorsey, Scott, and now. See Cohen. Mm-hmm. So that's fu- that's yeah, Clark. Six- I didn't think Clark had come out against it. Well, this is I, this I was somebody's posting, but perhaps uh, okay. maybe she has yeah. not yet. Yeah, okeah. yeah. She she's says she wants to hear. Yeah, yeah. she wants the hearing. Yeah. yeah. So Reisinger, Henry, and Bullock have yet to make a decision as well mm-hmm. about where they're going to stand on this issue. So this is. I mean, this is a. This is a. I think. And the votes won't take place for at least a few weeks because hearings are taking place this week. Tomorrow morning, Tomorrow morning. at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow morning yeah. at 10 a.m. So it's going to churn, churn for a while. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's going to churn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, um, you know, if this law said those individuals who are caught and convicted of an illegal weapon will be sent to some kind of um, alternative programming, mm-hmm. um, They'll be assessed in terms of their understanding of what society is about and and what it is to be a, a law-abiding citizen. I'm not saying that's the answer, but but we we need to do some assessing of the people who are perpetrating these crimes. Right. And I don't see us doing that. I see us very willing to throw them in jail and forget about them. But my my on the back end of this law. What happens in year in, in in the 13th month after they have been put in jail <laughs> and they come back home? Right. Right. And in that month 13 after they've served this one year, are they a different person? Mm-hmm. Have we done anything to help mm-hmm. them make better decisions? And and the fact that this law doesn't address returning citizens mm-hmm. and that issue. You can't just lock everybody up and then worry about it later, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what these folks have decided to do and, and put it down the road. Um, we need action now. This law is not action. This law is not helping. And that's how people okay. need to engage. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking that these are the type of issues. These are the type of things you take off work for. You send someone to mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. so you can be a part of the process. This is how you get involved with localized politics yes. and direct engagement that you hear. You're talking about it here on the Steiner Show. We're thinking about these issues. But then you have to show up and be a part of the process because it is going to churn for a while. Mary Pat Clark is on the fence. Bullock hasn't come out yet. So what's happening? happening with the people who live in the areas where they represent what is the funeral feeling i mean i'm in ryan dorsey's district and i was standing by waiting for him to be one of the first people to come out mm-hmm. based upon of course you know what he's been doing very recently i'm looking for him to make a stand well, what is happening yeah. on this program yeah, no, 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 I'm saying that, right there no, i'm saying doing it. no that's what i'm saying that <laughs> but there's been some other things that the sun did a, a very interesting editorial about him and his work uh <laughs> lately but what's happening with your council person do you know where your council person stands on this issue because if you don't well if you don't know who your council person is that's step one but second where do they stand on the issues that directly impact your community and how do you put pressure on them to move in one direction or the other yeah yeah and I'm disappointed um, you know I'm very proud that I live in Christopher Burnett's district Mm -hmm. the 8th district and he was one of the ones that came out very strong um, at the beginning opposing this Sharon Green Middleton Right, represents the district where the Liberty Rec Center and elementary school are. She came out supporting this. Right. Mm. Now, that area over the last six months in northwest Baltimore has experienced 27 homicides. In the, that, the Forest Park neighborhood. Far, well, Park. the northwest mm-hmm. corridor uh, uh, up there. Uh-huh. And, and for her to come out and support this, I can understand because there's a lot of people who are are concerned about the number of homicides, but but she's got to think long term. But I mean, one of the things that was very clear that when I came to your community meeting a couple of weeks back in Forest Park, well, the, the, a lot of community members are probably in support of the mandatory minimum because they are worried about the their communities and they're worried yeah. about the violence. Mm-hmm. And and the, many of the older residents 
older. What does that mean? But you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> my this, age a little bit younger. But 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 are are are, are worried about that and are are um, supporting those efforts, just like happened in 1993, mm-hmm. um, when he was a majority of the Black Caucus and others who supported. Um, locking up people in yes. this country in mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was because of the fear, and that was real. Um, so, Melody, go ahead. You want to say, we, go ahead, then we'll jump in. Well, I think what we're seeing on the council is very interesting because uh, the split in the vote right now shows the newcomers versus the old, uh, the old <laughs> guard. Yeah, right. the old right. guard. And so, I, I just find that that's fascinating because there is a new wave down at City Hall. There's a new way of thinking. There's a, an activism that we haven't seen before. So this is going to lead to a lot of new debate and a lot of new um, experts and ideas, which is what makes an issue, it just bubbles up and allows for a more public forum. That's a good thing. Odette Ramos has joined us as one of our guests as well. Hi, Hi Odette. How are you? Oh, good. Good. I'm sorry to call in late. We knew you had to do that. That's okay. So Odette Ramos is Executive Director of uh, at Community Development Network of Maryland, and good to have you with us as always, Odette. Um, Thanks so much. Always good to have you on the air. Have been on the, for the last couple of decades. She's been a guest. It's good to have her on here in this last week. Uh, and you all can join us here four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Let's try to get a call in here. Um, we're going to go to Hank and then Mark and Louise. The first three callers up. Hank, you're on the air. Welcome. How are you doing today, Mr. Stein? Brother Hank, how are you? Um, I am blessed. I know that you're getting ready to leave. Right. This is my question. Why do we not have? a radio station other than C-SPAN that directly correlates to um, what am I trying to say? Directly correlates to uh, what we what they're voting on. All, everything that they're voting on. Oh, I see. Right? Let me turn this in. Everything that they're voting on, what their vote is, and who they are. So then therefore, you know, what bills are being, that's what I'm saying. What bills are being placed up? Who's presenting the bill, right? And who voted on the bill and how they voted on the bill? Why is it that it is directed cor- or correlated directly to that? So then the public is going informed on whatever it is that they're voting on and why they're voting on it and what person to vote for and why should they, why should they not vote for <laughs> Like, Big Jim does that on Saturday. On his radio station, he had somebody call in every um, other week from down in the cap in the Capitol building who passed on this information. Right. Uh, what bills are being voted on? Hello. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, I think that that's that's um, you know, I we. We, I, I think a lot of reasons why that doesn't exist. One of the biggest reasons is money. Right. Um, it's a public yeah. service, though. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. other cities do have that. And I think it's so important because it's a clearinghouse. Right. And it should be as easy as a spreadsheet. So this is something that a lot of other places have done because it matters. It right. matters to people and it matters to constituents. Yeah. And, you know, we have this website that the city council president supposedly maintains of all the council business. Mm -hmm. And if he had someone on staff who was more technology savvy, it could be a very robust website. And right now you have to beg them to post the information. Right. You know, if if there's a council hearing and the Department of Public Works does a PowerPoint, we don't get it on the, the website. Right. So we have to take a very short break. We're going to come right back and uh, get Odette's thoughts on this, and we'll go back to the phones at 410-319-8888. And Mark and Melvin Louise, we're going to come to your calls in that order as soon as we return, so don't go away. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Stern. I'm here with Melody Simmons from the Baltimore Business Journal and Kim Chuhart, uh, uh, activist and former candidate for the city council president and uh, retired Navy veteran. I always forget to throw that in. I like to throw that in. Thank you. <laughs> go Navy. There you go. <laughs> Dr. K. Whitehead from Loyola, um, co-host and dear friend and supporter. Always, uh, always a pleasure to have you in the studio. Love it. Odette Ramos, Executive Director of Community Development Network of Maryland. And Odette, let me ask you to, to weigh in here before we go back to hit the phones again. Because what we, talk, we started the show talking about uh, the horrendous murder of Mr. Waddell Tate, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. 97-year-old man, and, then, and, and the battle right. over mandatory minimum sentencing in the city council. 
And I'm curious right. you, is to, you know, the, and the pain that this has caused the community, the community is wrenched by this, and I think it's emblematic of something much deeper, and the hurt of people in this community that create the kind of hurt that killed uh, Mr. Tate. So uh, we, we didn't have a chance to hear your thoughts. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that before we open the phones again. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think it's, this is all a symptom of a much larger issue, and that's opportunity. People need to have opportunities to succeed and not, um, you know, always go behind the barrel of a gun or, or drugs or anything like that. And so it, it goes back to some of the issues that came up during the uprising, you know, decent, affordable housing, which, you know, Baltimore has a affordable housing crisis, even though some, a lot of people don't understand that. You know, the eviction issue, lots of people getting evicted for, you know, dealing with, you know, for, for, for you know, a lot of reasons. Um, you know, education. So I think the mayor really needs a plan, not only on the the uh, criminal justice side, but also on the how the heck are we going to turn the tide in our city on these other issues um, that I think will that that are contributing to it. And that's and see, you know, we have these all these young members in the council, these new members that are really trying to turn it up. We need folks like Odette too. I mean, because I mean, we need <laughs> we need we need new blood here to really push our city in ways it has not been pushed in a long time. Hold that thought. Come on, let me hit the phone here, as I promise. 410-319-8888. Um, and let's go to Mark. You're on the air. Welcome. Hey, how y'all doing? Very well. Good morning. Hi. Hey, I'm glad y'all are talking about this. Uh, my friend uh, Kim there. You know, um, everything um, that Kim was talking about, I, I didn't know him personally, but I would see him. I lived in that that neighborhood for for years and I, I would see him in the community and my mom's 86 she lived in that area and you know uh, um, all that stuff that we were talking about the mental health and all that stuff is in place and Kim the uh, state's attorney uh, y'all was at our church uh, last week week not this Sunday past but last Sunday and she said that uh, she's prosecuting um, 13 to 14 year olds for murder and she said between 6 and 9 p.m. is when the youth get in the most trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're having the, um, the uh, pop-up Fridays. And I know, Kim, you guys are hosting one um, this Friday coming up. But uh, I talked to Brother Abdul me, Salam. Mark, I talked to Brother Abdul oh, yeah. Salam yeah. from Keys Development right. uh, yesterday, mental health uh, organization. And they're doing everything, uh, Kim, that these kids uh, need. They're doing counseling. They're working with the families, you know, through the addiction. Uh, they starting with uh, five-year-old on up uh, with, with, with addiction program jobs and all that kind of stuff. And also turn around Tuesdays. They're another game changer uh, at the churches. Uh, Zion on Caroline and Landville uh, every Tuesday morning, 9 to 11. I've been over there. And uh, Macedonia every Tuesday, 2 to 4 p.m., at uh, West uh, Lafayette Avenue, and these these brothers, both of their organizations, are doing all of this. And um, uh, brother, um, I know that you have the the, the uh, event uh, this Friday. Brother Abdul's marking y'all is four four three nine eight three five one seven six four four three nine eight three five one seven six. Their mental health uh, uh, our program is doing everything that they can to help these young people. Can we have to do things on the front end to, uh, before the, the preventive. people become hard? Yes. Right. Yes, preventive. You know, and the so, mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction, Brother Israel call them, uh, the, the knives that they're selling, uh, what happened to, you know, the wimpy law uh, that they passed. Uh, if they're not banning those, those knives, why even, you know, pass a law? You have... Uh, kids that's giving these knives, Kim, to each other for protection. So yeah. I'll listen to you guys. And y'all right, take care. And Kim, I'll see you Friday. God yes, willing. thank you, Mark. So let, me, um, let, let, me, let me turn to Odette on the phone and come back to the okay. studio. I guess sure. a chance to talk. Odette? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, um, you know, you hit it on the head there with, you know, some of the other things that need to be done in terms of preventing and uh, really giving kids these opportunities so that they're not um, doing, you know, all the things that we don't want them to do. Can I, can I just add one thing about affordable housing for a second? We just discovered that in Maryland, in the next four years, 
35% of the affordable units are going to expire. And what that means is that the many of our affordable units are funded through the um, low-income housing tax credit. And once the project gets those credits, they have 30 years that they can they have to stay affordable. But after 30 years, they could go to market rate. Okay? So 34, right. 35% are about to expire. So what we're planning on doing and trying to do is identify where those are, see how many are in the city and how many are in the rest of the state, and try to get those property managers and developers to re-up for another 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And, and really try to make sure that we, we are maintain that level. Because that's, that's kind of significant there. Um, and I think that'll, that's one thing that um, uh, we need to be conscious of when we think about all the different programs that need to happen um, for the kids and for, for kids and for adults and for families. You know, also make sure that they have stable housing um, and quality housing. Uh, so that uh, they can, uh, they, that at least is something stable in everybody's life. And, and, and Melanie, let me bring you in just because mm-hmm. that's what you cover. So right. you want to follow up on that, then we'll turn to, to other two guests. Well, this is a very important point, and it, it comes back to what we were talking about, about the public service and a clearinghouse. What Odette has just uh, brought to the table is so important for the whole city, for people who yeah. live here, for people who are looking for housing. This issue is of prime importance here in Baltimore. Um, it goes to the very root cause of the family, of uh, street violence, of safety, security. And yet, here we have 30% of these vouchers expiring. We also have problems with the RAD program. There's a right. lot of uncertainty that's going on now because they've turned a lot of the high-rises over to developers under a program of HUD, and nobody's sure if this program is going to keep going. Mm -hmm. The developers now have these uh, high-rises, and with the change in administration and the funding issues, there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether a lot of the people who are living there will will be allowed to continue to live there. Uh, so there's these are prime conditions mm-hmm. in the city right now, and it is a public service to bring them uh, to the forefront of everybody. This is 2017. There should be a clearinghouse. There should be a website. There should be a public dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. you're flying too, too beneath the radar for most people. Yeah. Um, first, I want to say um, to your caller, Mark, I right. did listen to your show yesterday. And so the, the programs that you were describing and, and on your show yesterday are not in, in big enough um, capacity to really address the problems that we've we've identified here and I appreciate what all these these independent groups are doing um, but we need these kinds of services the mental health treatment mm-hmm. the the job training the workforce preparation training on a much larger scale and um, you know for us to impact 20 or 30 people great right but we know Right. That there are thousands. Um, There is on the school board agenda tomorrow um, a um, action for seven million dollars for taxi cabs, primarily to transport homeless children Mm. back to the school they were enrolled in when they became homeless. Seven million dollars. Right. Um, They say that seven million dollars serves over four thousand children Mm. who are categorized as homeless. Right. Mm. You know, we need to look at at how we spend money in this city. And 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 does it make sense? You know, one of the things, um, if I can, Mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, right. Last year, I participated in a breakthrough series collaborative with the University of Maryland um, School of Psychiatry and the School of Social Work, where nine organizations looked at their trauma-informed practices or lack thereof and did some self-assessments about how they needed to change their policies around delivery of services in in this trauma-informed city that we lived in. Um, As a result of that, we at Liberty are going to be a part of a new model that they have developed where 
peer-to-peer counselors, right, laypersons, are going to be able to help families deal with the trauma. The child that's in the school and the home, right, will be the recipient of this peer-to-peer. And and I'm so excited about it. August the 2nd, we're going to train my folks. So I need, I'm just pushing because I want to get these mm-hmm. calls back in here with Kay. Um, I just want to just a quick comment that I completely agree with Kim. I was just thinking about what the caller kind of laid out on the table. The the times of the day when young people are getting into a lot of issues, when mm-hmm. it's 6 to 9 p.m., mm-hmm. and trying to come up with some real solutions. Yes, I am very much engaged with what's happening with housing. Yes, we need a clearinghouse. Yes, we need some large-scale programs. But just drilling down a little bit deeper with the fact that young people don't have places to go. There is no green space. There are no programs. And so how do we deal with that? I like the neighborhood programs. I do think we need to deal with it on a bigger scale, but a bigger scale does not solve the immediate program. It seems like every time we do something on a bigger scale, it goes to the city council. We have to discuss it. It percolates. It churns for a while. We figure out who's on what side. We write editorials about it. And by the time you get to that point, the summer has <laughs> ended. And once again, young right. people have not had a place right. to go. So, so trying right. to start where we are. <laughs> but yeah, the larger scale can still be a community Controlled centered, and right. centered. Yes. Right. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me go back to the phones here and then come back to our guests. And also Mark McLaren on on, on the on uh, website uh, is standing by his whip count, um, which is that yeah. he said that, that, uh, that um, I'm sorry, standing by his count that Councilwoman Mayor Pat Clark is going to be against. Oh. Awesome. So, awesome. Thank well, you. I, I, I didn't expect any less. I mean, so, I, I mean, so. Awesome. And, and I, this is, I know, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 this is Clark. huge. I mean, now it's up to <laughs> right. people like. Uh, Councilman Henry and Bullock, and to kind of... Right. Well, we've got to start talking clearly about who's for and who's against. Yes. And if we don't call them out, shame on us. Call them out. Right. Call them out. Let's hit the phones here. 410-319-8888. Let us go to people who have been holding on for a long time. So let's go to uh, Melvin. You're on the air. Mm. Thank you for having me, everyone. Uh, Good morning. Good morning, Melvin. Good morning. You know, it's not uh, just about... um, who's for and who's against, but uh, why are they for and why right. are they against? Right. That has to come into um, into question. Um, you know, these knee, knee-jerk legislations that come up that um, satisfy, uh, you know, they play into mm-hmm. the emotions of the public who want an answer right now, so hey, lock everybody up. And you, you can't tell a mother they lost two of her children to gun violence that that's not a good policy. Right. That's a great policy for that mom because it works to to, to, to cater to her emotions of right now. It also caters to uh, those that hold the purse strings for re-election for those that are voting a certain way. So, you know, what are they voting yes or voting no? More important is why are you voting yes and voting no? But that's not why I thought. <laughs> but <laughs> I, <laughs> so while I'm listening, I got so many things running through my head. I'm writing on this, this, this napkin right here. My, my point is... <laughs> but I will say this. Uh, you know, one of the questions that um, that that I uh, want to put out there is, I want a statement. Is the question that we're asking about our youth, you know, the question is all wrong. We're asking, what's wrong with you for our youth? And, and because of that question, then we try to fashion some way to, to, to provide them with what they need. But it's not about what's wrong with you. There's nothing wrong uh, with children uh, that are developing naturally as a result of what they're experiencing as a child. Uh, you know, that, that, that is a clinical issue that we're dealing with, not a criminal issue. Um, so the question we should be asking is, you know, what happened to you? to give you the mind state that what you're participating in is okay. And not only okay, but it, it's acceptable. Um, and, and a lot of times it, it, it's glamorized in our community, you know. And so the trauma care, um, I heard one of the young ladies there just say, our, our, our trauma-informed city. Uh, I, I don't know if that was, you know, I don't know if it was a play on words, but this city is not informed enough mm-hmm. about what the reality of, of toxic uh, uh, experiences and how it how it plays into the development of our children, you know, especially ages five to twelve. Yes. Um, you know, CTSD is real. Um, constant traumatic stress disorders are real. Right. And our children from ages five to twelve, so, they go out and they mimic that very thing that their uncles do, their big brothers do, their fathers do, their peers do. 
And to them, as their brain is developing, that type of behavior is, that they're displaying is is acceptable. It is right. They see it as right. So I'm sorry, we, we have a lot of callers. Actually, I have to get to a bunch of other folks who are all dying again. So can I ask you to wrap it up? But I'm, what you're saying is really critically important, but I go ahead. So, so and, and to wrap it up, I think we hit the nail on the head just about five minutes ago when we say, <laughs> I, I really appreciate all the neighborhood programs, one of which I have, Makings of a Man Millions Initiative in West Baltimore. Where What's it called again? Makings of a Man <laughs> Male Youth Initiative is uh, at the Larry E. Hicks Community Center on North Avenue, North and Bradish. Um, and and we're, we're addressing um, a lot of, of those types of issues in these small programs, but we need to be smart about how we're spending our budget dollars, and we need to yeah. get these assessment and treatment programs into University of Maryland, into Johns Hopkins, into Bar Secor, into St. Agnes. Mm-hmm. These children's uh, minds need to be assessed mm-hmm. and treated Yep. When something happens, hey, if you have someone who <clears throat> got shot uh, in an emergency room, well, yeah. So don't hang up on him. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm sorry. That's it. Okay. All right, brother. I, I want to come by and visit North and Bradish. I just wrote it down. Um, We're there every Tuesday at six thirty. All right. I'm really interested. See, this, there's so much good stuff happening. Mm-hmm. The question is, totally. At the grassroots it, it's level, it's not coordinated. Right. No. And funded right. to allow right. it to really have the effect right. it could have. And we need, oh, you know, okay. we need to do some so, asset mapping. You know, where are these programs, and right. and can they be replicated and put into neighborhoods that right. have none? And and we're not doing. Nobody is doing that in the city, and and we should demand that somebody be hired in the city to do that right. for us. Oh, and can you merge them so you're not repeating? Right. That's another thing. Yeah, but if and if you got thousands right. of kids, you know, a program that can only serve twenty five right. needs to be replicated, right? Replicated right. and right. connected, right? So that and way, that, so that so when so students are moving around the city from home yeah. to home, right. they can right. continue with the same program yeah, despite exactly. what neighborhood they may end right. up in. Odette, yeah. Oh, see, see if you want to jump in. I'm just going to have to match Hi, folks on the phone to make sure you get your voice in there. That's all. No, I'm good. Everybody's doing a great job. You know, I, I'm 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 clear about what what everybody's talking about is not my level of expertise. I think everybody makes a lot of sense. My level of expertise is on the community development and capacity level. You know, aside from just housing, we don't have enough community development organizations in our city to really organize um, and and help people advocate for themselves. Uh, on these issues. I think that's part of another dynamic that's happening is on the capacity level. Um, for, for a lot, I mean, a lot of what happened on the uprising was, you know, there wasn't any organizing. They weren't able to have an avenue to, to, to um, you know, advocate, and, and that's happening across the city. I know that the mayor has talked about increasing capacity for community development organizations, and I think that's awesome and amazing. Money, money, money. And, and that's another piece that we're dealing with here. The federal money is likely to be cut and for, for these uh, for community organizations. So how is the, is the mayor going to be able to backfill that? Um, but also, I mean, not every community, you know, uh, it may be merging organizations instead of just, you know, creating new. But we've got to think that through a little bit, and we're trying to do that mapping around the community development side. Good. To figure out where the capacity is, where it, where it's needed, and how to make sure that they that they have it, and to also make sure, frankly, and I'm just being super honest about this, a lot of the foundation money is going in areas that where the, the philosophy is building from strength, which is fine, but it's completely left other parts of the city mm-hmm. who have nothing money. right to start from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's another piece of this that I think we have to really understand and really work with the foundation community and the mayor to lead on figuring that out and uh, and, and working with them uh, on that. So let me try to get another caller, and he'll come right back uh, to our panel as we round this out at 410-319-8888. And uh, Louise, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Good morning. I'm calling because maybe I missed something. I just wanted to know, how do you know it was a young person that committed this horrible crime? We don't know. It, it could have been, you know, yeah, exactly. I'm, that's what I'm, you know, it seems like it's just focused on the young person because it could have been a person that Mr. Tate knew, a family member, a friend, a neighbor. Right. And, we don't um, know. How, and, yeah, and, and again, how do we know this um, isn't being done deliberately? 
and um, this crime spree. And what do you mean um, deliberately? Well, <laughs> we all know that crime and criminalization of our bodies are is big business. So you know the police supposedly laying down and 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 basically not doing anything about crime, and they could be also they could they could also be actually committing these crimes so that they could you know get they could have their budget increase they could um call for more police officers on the street and they can call for legislation like like is being um proposed with the gun mandatory minimum sentence right now just look at who's supporting it so all right. That's you know, and then so we have so, to be, we have to be careful. Louise, thanks for the call. There's quick commentary around the, the well, table here. I think what we're hearing uh, from this past caller is just there's such a sense of um, distrust. There's such a sense of paranoia. Nobody really knows. This is what uh, a bad crime spike like this will do to a community. Oh yeah, right. unsettling, right. very unsettling. No. Um, we talk about the time frame between um, 6 and 9 in the evening. And I'm proud to say that this coming Friday, July 28th, from 6 to 9 p.m., Liberty Rec Center will be open. And we have a multitude of great community-based programmers coming in, opening our doors to our young people in a pop-up event. Um, the swimming pool at Liberty will be open free to everyone from 6 to 9. We will have uh, the Guardian Angels will be doing demonstrating martial arts in our fitness room. Be More Than Dance will be there hosting dance for the young folks in our big community room. Our basketball Liberty Dream Team will be there demonstrating basketball and signing up kids who want to be in the basketball. Our football team will be out on the field. Okay. Right. So, so we got, we got so much going on from 6 right. to 9 on Friday. Show up. Pass the, the word on to the young folks. Amen to that. I think it's something to think about as we get prepared as a city uh, for the August 4th, what is the 72-hour Baltimore mm-hmm. ceasefire, right? Nobody kill anybody for what is it, 72 hours, yes. like 48 hours, 40 hours, 72 hours, 72, 72 hours. Uh, and, and thinking about what that means for a city to have to come together, to rally, to set up posters, to get everyone to agree to this, and what's going to happen, you know, hour 73, Right. Mm-hmm. So are you putting things off kind of this purge mentality? We don't do anything. People can sit outside. They can walk you know, they can go to the pool. They can do all the things people do in a normal city yeah. that we're going to do for this period of time. 70. But we have come to this point that we have to have campaigns just to get people to think about not killing rather than getting right. to the heart of why they think about killing as the first option anyway. Right. right. Delve into the problem. Odette and then Melody. Then we'll go back, try to get a couple calls in here before the end of the hour. So um, I, I'm glad that somebody mentioned the ceasefire uh, um, because that's, uh, that is extremely important. Erica Bridgeford, who's with uh, Community Mediation, leading the charge, and I think it's great, and I'm excited about so many different things happening. Um, and I, I want to talk about something totally uh, which is related and something that um, I've been working on as a volunteer. Uh, myself, Brooke Learman, and a few others started a group called Baltimore Women United after the, the Trump election. And the idea, um, uh, after lots of meetings and trying to figure this out, is really to um, support women candidates and also um, increase voter turnout uh, for women. And so Baltimore Women United folks will be out at the ceasefire to help register people to vote. Um, and uh, we've been canvassing and hearing from women about the issues that, that are um, uh, important to them, to try to, in trying to convince them that voting is important, because voting is important to try to impact these issues uh, and elect the right people that will impact the issues. So, um, you know, what we've been hearing is that, uh, you know, people are, I think, excited about voting this time around in some cases because they really feel like they have to do it, especially after the national election. Um, But then there's others that are disempowered and saying, you know, nothing ever changes, so why should I do it? And so I think we want to take, at least for Baltimore Women United, we want to take advantage of the opportunities 
around ceasefire, around National Night Out Against Crime coming up on August 1st, um, but also continuing our work to Canvas to talk to women and try to, you know, really see how important it is um, to to vote to affect these issues. Um, and uh, so it's related. Uh, our group is super diverse. Our, our biggest thing is to really maintain diversity in our leadership and in our membership, and we're intentional about it. Um, check out our Facebook page for more um, information about that. Melody, we'll try to get a couple calls in here before we end the hour. Well, as a reporter, I think we're seeing a, a rise in activism. I think the hearing tomorrow at City Hall is going to be well attended. We're going to hear a lot yeah. of opinions, a lot of debate, which is only very, very healthy for a public uh, debate to go through, especially on an issue as important as this. So, um, you know, one of the beauties of a, of a radio call-in show is that you kind of get things bubbling and then it, it right. moves to City Hall. So this right. is what we're going to see this week, and hopefully it will continue into August, into September, and um, and maybe spark more activism in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around this mistrust issue, um, the um, Community Oversight Task Force that was called out in the consent decree um, yeah. will have its second meeting this week. I believe it's the 27th. If you look on the Baltimore City um, mm-hmm. consent decree website, you can find out information. Their role is to oversee the or review the processes used by the Civilian Review Board where complaints from citizens are submitted about police brutality. Um, get involved. That's and, the thing. And we are out of time. Right. <laughs> so I want to thank all of right. This has been great. Kim Chuart, always good to have you on the air. Thank you, Mark. Always. Love you. Love you, too. I do. I do. I do. You're one of our fighters out here who have been fighting and not giving up time. and pushing it, and it means a lot to all of us that you're there. Same with you, Odette Ramos, and and uh, and Kate Whitehead. Uh, say something wonderful about me. I'm I always say something wonderful about you, girl. Always do, don't I? Yes, you do. <laughs> Melody Simmons, dear old friend, good to have you here. It's great keep, to be here. Keep on writing and dear pushing friend. the envelope yes. on the press. Thank you. And thank you all for calling in today. It was a great show. We'll keep the pressure on because that's what we're supposed to do here on the Mark Stein Show is keep the pressure on. Yes. The Mark Stein we're going to miss you, Mark. We're yes. going to miss you. Yes, we are. We're going to keep on fighting. may not be here, but we're going to keep on going. Awesome. The Mark Steiner Show is a production for the Center for Emerging Media. Our lead producer is Calvin Perry. Our editing producer is Ali Post. Our engineer is Andrea Melton. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. The podcast is Steiner Show. It ain't going anywhere. Share with your friends. Uh, please go to the website, steinershow.org, or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. <laughs>